Hi there, and welcome to Magic Time Playoff Edition. Yes, that's right. Where has the regular season gone? Well, it has flown by. 40 games have been played. Scott Squires with you and being joined on Magic Time today by my broadcast partner on Moncton Magic Live Games on NBLC Live. This is Dave Tingley. Dave, can you believe it's playoff time already, buddy? Oh, Scott, I mean, it's March Madness in more ways than one. We got college, we got the pro playoffs coming up in the NBA, and we got our favorite basketball, which is the the NBLC. So, no, it's it's been it feels like forever since we've watched the game. It really does. It's been far too long, which is why I'm so excited to get the playoff series round one going this coming Friday, April the fifth, seven p.m. at the Avenir Center in Moncton. It will be. The Moncton Magic, the number one seed in the National Basketball League of Canada 2018-2019, taking on the four seed, the St. John Riptide. But Dave, I think we've seen enough during this season that it doesn't really matter who is playing who. And in Moncton's case, it doesn't matter who the opponent is. They're going to get a tough game night in, night out. They're going to get a tough series uh, right through the playoffs, however far they go. And uh, we kind of thought that it might be the St. John Riptide. You kind of had that feeling that it could shake out that way. But uh, your initial thoughts on uh, the Moncton Magic at home opening up against their provincial rivals. The thought right off the bat is how difficult the series that this is going to be. I don't think um, if you if you caught the Magic in an honest moment, coaches, players, I think they would have hoped that the Riptide got that game down in Cape Breton a few nights ago, a few afternoons ago, that they ended up losing, that that clinched third place for Cape Breton and sent them into a, a matchup with Halifax. Not that Cape Breton's an easy, uh, an easy matchup by any means, but the Riptide just have this. Uh, they're the team that no, it's kind of a cliche, but in this case, it's not. They are literally the team that I don't think anybody really wants to see in a short series. First round is five games. It's a short series. And those series, it's it's not always the best team that comes out. Sometimes that scrappy um, underdog type can come up and and, and bite you. And, and St. John's much more talented than your average scrappy underdog. They started the season a little slow, and they've built and built. And Coach Nelson Tarob is really good, and he's really good at teaching defense. And this team is really tough on that end. And that that's why they're a team that, you don't want to play in a short series. And, and Moncton's got them, and they're going to have to unlock that defense to, to win the first round. Well, I mean, we talk about it all the time, and it's pretty widely known if you follow basketball, but the game really is about matchups. And uh, we've seen some of the problems that St. John can bring to Moncton in terms of matchups. Uh, right off the hop, Dave, what do you see as a couple of real out-front matchup issues that might cause Moncton some problems? Well, good news for Moncton is is Bryce Washington. Bad news for for St. John, and really unfortunate. Right before playoff time, is Bryce Washington leaving and taking another professional opportunity uh, with literally three games to go in the in the regular season, and that causes them some some problems a little bit. But um, right off the hop is whoever Jeremiah Morty ends up being uh, assigned to, and, and traditionally that's been Corey Almond, but Corey's really had some success about against uh, St. John in their six games this year. So that's a matchup I'm looking for. Where is Jeremiah Morty going to be assigned to? And for Moncton, where is Wayne McCullough going to be assigned to? Because Wayne is that Jeremiah Morty version 
for Moncton. These guys are both super, uh, super energetic on the defensive end of the floor and take on any matchup that comes their way. Also being able to impact the game offensively, not always consistently. They're not, neither one of those guys are big, big scorers, but they can do some things offensively. Wayne takes the ball to the basket and rebounds the ball on the offensive and defensive end really well. And Morty makes 40% of his three. So if one of those two guys, uh, they might end up matched up on each other. They might probably not. Wayne will probably be on maybe a, a Frank, maybe a Bartley. Um, and Jeremiah Morty might end up on Trey Kell, who will kind of get in talking more about, I'm sure you've got more playing for Trey, but those two guys, where, where their matchups end up being, where, where the two coaches, Coach Salerno and Coach Turtle, but decide to kind of attach those guys to um, will kind of dictate how this series goes a lot, I think. And it's interesting because fans of the Moncton Magic would know what a great start to the regular season that they had going through that unbeaten streak. I believe if we look back, it was the second longest unbeaten streak at the start of an NBL season uh, in the history of the league. You know, a couple of people, not so much fans of the Moncton Magic, just uh, kind of basketball fans and aficionados in general, have pointed out various places across social media that if you look at the second half of the season, uh, and if you take away that very hot start by the Moncton Magic, that Moncton's record anyway might be kind of so-so. As we're a couple of days away from the beginning of this hopefully long playoff run, now, where do you see and how do you see the Moncton Magic's roster. Yeah, that's as a fan of the team and have, having been as close to it as you and I have, that for me anyway, <clears throat> it's a little bit frustrating to listen to that stuff. And you're right, it's floating around. Um, and if you want to assign, some people are doing that kind of assigning Halifax as the, as the favorites going into the playoffs. And if you want to make a case for them, you certainly can. They're great. But you're talking about a team that's number one ranked in the league, you're talking about a team that started off 11 and 0, finished winning nine of their last 12. So in between, in between, if you do the math on that, that means they had a stretch where they went eight wins and ten losses. So okay, that's not a great stretch. But when you look at what they were going through there, Scott, they lost uh, players. They lost three NBL level All Star guys during that 18 game stretch. They also, though, what some people forget is. They sat some guys out, knowing that they had sort of a lead in the standings, uh, knowing that, you know, if, well, you know, we've got this game lead, we build this up, let's rest this guy and that guy an extra game or two here, or not give him as many minutes in this game as they could. And there was a lot of those games that were really, really tight. You, uh, you talk to some of these players, and they're a little upset. They feel like they should have gone 32-8. and eight. They, should, they feel like that should have been their record, given kind of these tight endings that they had to a couple of games. So... Yeah, you can you can look at that, but you're talking about a team going into the playoffs, number one ranked in the league, getting healthy. Everybody's back. Okay, they've got 12 full guys ready to go uh, for Friday night, and they've won nine of their last 12. I'm I'm gonna ride with that team. I don't know about you. Well, I might be a little biased, but I definitely am. And the <laughs> other side of that coin is that uh, a lot of times it's through adversity that you build a lot of character and a team can really gel together and get to a point where there's the utmost trust on and off the court. And I think certainly uh, the last few games of the regular season, you really started to see that coming out in the Moncton Magic, that trust for one another on the floor 
and that gelling. And, and it seems that a lot of the uh, things that this team has gone through, a lot of the adversity has really brought them closer together. And there's no question the playoffs is a microcosm of the long season. You can have a lot of adversity in a very short amount of time. So uh, Moncton seems kind of prepared for that. Uh, let's talk about one of the guys that you mentioned, uh, you know, so many key members of this team. But with a lot of the different things that went on with this squad, um, from a personnel standpoint, the team was forced to make some moves and to find some players. And there's a lot of players that they may not have had if those things didn't happen, like a Trey Kell or Freddie McSwain Jr. or Marcus Lewis or a Joel Dondo right on down the line. But how about Trey Kell coming in to this season kind of late, I guess, but really gelling and solidifying position. What can you say about Mr. Trakel? Well, I think if he'd have been playing this full season with the Moncton Magic, having a full season under his belt, you'd be talking about the leading candidate for MVP in the league. Um, I don't think there's any doubt of that. Uh, the guy's just been dominant since he's gotten to the team. Had a, had a stretch there where he was sick and then a little bit injured and had to go back. And they were planning on working him back in slowly during that three-game trip up in Ontario to end the year, and he was playing so well, they just kind of rode with him and let him finish off that that season-ending game in Windsor and just let him dominate the fourth quarter in overtime and, and bring that victory home. The guy is a dominant player at this level, and they haven't had him, Corey, and Billy. There, I, I think if you put a big three together for this team, I think that would be where you, where you start on the offensive end of the floor. They haven't had those guys working together as a unit because of rest and all that stuff for a month now. Okay. And when you throw in the leading shot blocker in the league, Nick Evans, who hasn't played in a, in that month's time either, throw him back into the mix with a guy like Denzel Taylor suddenly playing at a super high level. And we should get into more about him as we preview this, as we go on him and we got uh, Jason Calise playing really well. Now Marcus Lewis, you mentioned played at a super high level and uh, uh, Gentry Thomas really looking like he's gotten some consistency. They're getting some consistency out of him, having him there on the bench coming up and, you know, other guys we can get to. But, I mean, that's a pretty healthy-looking squad. And it, you talked about you get uh, a lot of adversity you can get in a, in, a, in a playoff series in a short period of time. What better way to combat that adversity by having multiple guys you can go to a really deep squad and being healthy now uh, rounding in the form of 12 guys available, you got to have confidence that they've got more guys that they can go to on that bench, particularly than do the Riptide. And I think that's where the the Magic's most distinct advantage comes from is their depth over over the Riptide. Thank you for the great segue. Talking about that depth, how about the final regular season game for the Moncton Magic in Windsor? Uh, Corey Almond and Billy White being given the night off by Coach Salerno. And it was a lineup of Caliste, Cal, McCullough, McSwain Jr., and Donda as your five starters, with Thomas, Taylor, and Lewis coming off the bench. And they went into Windsor, and it's not like Windsor didn't have anything to play for. The Express certainly did. And on the road in Windsor, that squad of Moncton Magic players, minus Billy White and uh, Corey Almond, get a 119-114 victory. And for me, I always look for little things. And maybe it's not so little, but that game told me a lot about where the mindset of this team is and how ready they are for the playoffs. Yeah, well, Coach, I talked to Coach about it a little bit at the, at the season open, season closing uh, little gathering we had there here in Moncton that you were missed at, Scott. But the, um, he, he said, 
uh, yeah, we, 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 we got down in the fourth quarter and we said, we we're going to limit trades minutes and we we're going to limit everybody's minutes and just, you know, play it out with the five or six guys to get guys, uh, uh, you know, guys like Marcus Lewis and, and um, um, Freddie McSwain, like max minutes to get them a lot of run um, to get them ready for more, 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 uh, a little bit more better prepared for the playoffs because they'd had some bumps and bruises and limited minutes lately too. Um, and then they just went, you know what? Trey's looking good. Let's throw them back in and win this damn thing. Let's try to win, go into the playoffs on a winning note. And um, yeah, he was unbelievable. 32, eight and six in that and, and dominated the fourth. And I mean, Freddie McSwain was incredible. Jen Trey was great. Marcus Lewis was amazing defensively. And I mean, the depth that they've got, you know, when they when you can throw when you can go for one nineteen on the road against a team that's desperate to win with your, you know, ostensibly four through nine guys playing the bulk of the minutes, that bodes well for your depth for for the playoff run for sure. So it's going to get going on Friday night. Uh, I know that we're excited about getting back on the air, Dave. I I don't know. I've I've been doing play by play of my street cleaner going up and down the street here in Truro or. When the uh, mail carrier comes, I I get strange looks when I'm like, and the mail carrier coming down the street, he's reaching into his mail. See, I just I'm missing it, Dave. I'm missing it a lot. Yeah, well, when I'm at, when I'm watching the NCAA and I'm muting it so that I can do the color commentary, yeah, people are getting annoyed with me too. Now we talked about some of the new guys. I should say newer compared to the mm-hmm. the uh, squad that Moncton had at the beginning of the year. But let's talk about a couple of guys that were on the opening day roster and have been there throughout. Uh, Corey Almond and Billy White. And I reference those two guys just because of the veteran leadership that they bring, the championship pedigree. Corey Almond in other leagues at other levels. And Billy White right here in the National Basketball League of Canada. First of all, uh, let's talk about Billy White because Coach Salerno has referenced several times that he's lost to a Billy White team the last three years in a playoff round. And... Uh, He's got Billy White on his team now, and playoff mode really seems to be activated for Billy, a different look in his eye, a different demeanor. What are you seeing from Billy White down the stretch here, and what's he going to bring to this Moncton team in the playoffs? Well, same thing that you saw. Our, our last home game that we had, Scott, you said, many you referenced it many times on the, on the podcast afterward and during the game, how he looked like he was having way more fun than any other game that we've seen. And you got to think maybe it's just, He's been down this regular season road so many times. It's just, it's old hat to him. And he needs the playoffs, the juice from the playoffs, the adrenaline to really get him going. And it seems like the closer we get there, the more he's into it. And certainly looked like he was into it that, that last home game to clinch. And he was uh, on the on the road. He played, he played really well in his limited minutes that he got. And he was, you know, head cheerleader for that Windsor overtime game. He was the first guy up and off the bench every time. He and Corey leading the charge out there, so he was—he's really excited. You can tell, and he's played well against St. John as well this year. Um, you know, consistently between 18, 22, 24 points he's had on them. So they've had a little trouble guarding him, and now they don't have Bryce Washington. So it does bode well for a good uh, for a good series from him and Corey Allman. Outside of I call it the weird game in my notes. So I kept making notes about talking about these talking about these this series, I kept referencing the weird game in my notes and that that's the 49 point fourth quarter comeback game, uh, which also should give the the bench. We talked about the bench before we also should give them a lot of uh, confidence going into the series. They, they did that 
miracle comeback from you know 20 some points down in the third quarter to to St. John in their in their last regular season game. But yeah, Billy and Corey both have had success against St. John this year, shooting the ball, um, you know, scoring the ball. So they've done it. Where St. John clamps you down is they don't let anybody else. Uh, uh, the, the, they don't let those bench guys typically um, get their game off, and, and they really did in the fourth quarter of that last game, but that'll be where St. John's probably focused. A good coach like uh, Coach Taroba's probably got some uh, different looks coming for guys like Billy and uh, Corey, but also for those bench guys, making it more difficult for them come playoff time. And, of course, Corey Almond, the floor general, the three-point specialist, and uh, – a real emotional leader for this team. He made the decision to come back to the Moncton Magic for year two, and uh, his leadership has been evident on and off the floor. And uh, what can this Corey Almond bring to this team? Again, it's it's a different world in the playoffs. It's it's just so different. Everything is ratcheted up. Everything takes on a bigger persona. But what are you looking for from Corey Almond in this playoff run? Well. Look, if we get from him from the, in, the, in this first round against St. John what he's given him during the six games of the regular season, um, it'll be it'll be it'll be good because he's got uh, he's been shooting the ball at a 58% clip from three against St. John this year. Um, the problem is maybe not the problem, but that'll that'll give him a lot of confidence. But if I'm Coach Taroba, I'm looking at that number and going, okay, well that's going to be something we're going to give him a, a different look at. And when you look at uh, the Magic, they are the best three-point shooting team in the league percentage-wise. But the bulk of that comes from uh, Corey making over 42% and Kalise, the number one, and he's third in the league. And Jason Kalise, uh, Mr. Kathrice, as you like to call him, 43.4%. He's the number one three-point shooting in the league. Outside of that, those numbers start to dip into the low 30s from a lot of these guys that can make threes, like Marcus Lewis and uh, Wayne McCall and those guys. But those those percentages are much, much lower. So if I'm Coach Taroba, I'm looking at that going, what can I do to make somebody else take those three-point shots? And Mr. Coach of the Year, newly crowned Coach of the Year, Joe Salerno is going to have to go and have some chess moves ahead of time, thinking that's what Coach Taroba is going to do. How can I counter that to give those guys the open threes that they need uh, to make us successful in the offensive end of the floor? And so we mentioned Corey Allman and Billy White, and uh, I'm – as big a Billy White fan as you are a fan of Denzel Taylor. You referenced him a second ago. I know you want to talk about him. And sometimes, for whatever reason, and not that we do it, because, hey, we're Denzel fans, but Denzel Taylor, it seems almost on a league-wide perspective, maybe gets overlooked a little bit or is underrated. What can Denzel Taylor bring to this team, and and how important is he in this group of 12 uh, there's no maybe about him being underrated. There's there's no longer any maybe on that. We're two years in. He is he's at worst one of the top five defensive players in the league. And I'm saying at worst, I'd put him probably second or third in my rankings league wide. Um, he's at worst the first team all all uh, all league defensively, and he's and at least with the league uh, releasing their short lists for those types of awards, he's not on it. So. Um, we, we've definitely got a problem there with pumping Denzel's tires. We don't do it enough. So that just means we've got to do it more, Scott. I don't know how we can do it more, but we'll figure out a way. But Denzel's been, uh, once he got healthy about three quarters of the way through the season, 
we really could tell that he wasn't fully healthy. He got healthy, and he's been an absolute menace in this last uh, seven, eight games, outside of the last one in Windsor where he didn't play very much. The previous six, actually, he was uh, scoring at 12.5 points a game on 68% from the field and from the line where he struggled a lot this year. He was hovering around 50%, so he's got that into the high 60s the last going into the playoffs at least. Um, on six offensive boards a game, which is ridiculous. That bumped him up, and, and he led the league for the second straight year in offensive boards. And uh, he's just been a, and he's been a game changer defensively. Him defensively in this in this uh, series is really going to be key. If he plays at that high level with Bryce Washington missing, he's just going to have to to fend with uh, uh, guys like Randy Phillips, uh, uh, Kazembe Abif, who's who's a new guy that's going to step in there. John Harris, who hasn't been great for this. so their big guys outside of TJ Maston, um, Billy can or, uh, pardon me. Uh, uh, well, Billy can too. The whole front line uh, with Nick Evans back, having some more versatility and depth. Denzel's a guy that can really take advantage of what will probably be a thin, a more thin kind of beat up front line of St. John's. He's a guy that can really step in there and do his energy thing and just destroy them under the boards. Well, and it's interesting because we saw it uh, the last couple of weeks of the regular season with Nick Evans out that, you know, all of a sudden if Denzel Taylor got into a bit of foul trouble and then Joel and Dondo had to come in and, and spell Denzel and play some minutes, but then if they started to get into foul trouble, you didn't have that Nick Evans option off the bench. And I actually mentioned this to Coach Salerno last week in a podcast that Nick Evans has been out of the lineup long enough that getting him back, for the first game of the playoffs, and and at this point in the season, without having had him for so long, this is almost like the Moncton Magic have been allowed to make a playoff trade to bring in a, a guy to bolster the team. How big an impact can Nick Evans make coming back into this team, not only from what he does with shot blocking and other things, but just having that extra big man off the bench if somebody else gets in foul trouble? Uh, well, it's, it's massive, and he's been really a non-factor against St. John all year. He's only played in three of the six games. He had one, uh, one of the games, the first game he played in a uh, year back in uh, the first game of, of the St. John matchups that he got in was back in January, and he had a pretty solid game, 10, 10.7 boards, three blocks. But outside of that, including that game, 10-7-3, in the three games, he has a total of 20.16 boards and four blocks. So those other two games, he was a complete non-factor. So... St. John really hasn't had any sort of dose of Nick Evans, and uh, they're going to get a dose if I know Nick. <laughs> haven't haven't set off, haven't sat off, watched this much, and the energy that we've seen him show popping off the bench in the middle of games to high five fellows coming off coming off the floor. If we know Nick, they're going to get a taste of that energy, and they're going to taste of it really fast. Yeah, he has been number one cheerleader for sure. And I guess, uh, you know, the, the, the key or the, the buzz term around sports now, especially in basketball, is load management. you got to rest a guy, load management. Now, I know that that's not what the Moncton Magic were doing with Nick Evans, but in terms of load management, Nick, boy, oh boy, is he going to be fresh? And how important could that be if Moncton's able to make a long run, having Nick Evans basically uh, be as fresh as a daisy? He might get to play a lot more minutes than even uh, he's planned on. Yeah, and, and that's going to be important. You mentioned the foul trouble, which became a real concern with Denzel, and Coach even mentioned it to me in a conversation we had where he was going to 
probably get Denzel in a room and sit down and, and, and really break down the plays where he got called for fouls and really talk to him about, listen, here's what you got to do to stay on the floor more because they're going to need him because a guy like TJ Maston can be, uh, he can be a difference maker in this series. Of, of course, uh, Maston's a, a huge key <clears throat> along with, um, uh, along with their, I guess their, if you look at, if, if they've got a big two, uh, it's going to be Masson and Bartley. And, um, but Masson's really their only threat in the low post, but he's a heck of a threat. He can pop it from 12 to 15 and he's got an array of moves down low and he, and he gets to the offensive glass. So it's going to have to be, uh, you know, a uh, 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 Nick and, uh, you know, Adondo, you mentioned Adondo, uh, Joel up front along with, um, uh, with guys like Billy probably be over there rotating on him, giving him different looks, a little length, and then Denzel coming in and banging him around. Those guys are all going to have to make smart plays and smart choices with their fouls to stay out of foul trouble. But, yeah, having Nick around gives them six more fouls from a big guy to, to be physical with Mastin, and that's what you want to be with him. If you're going to get him off of his, uh, off of his game, it's going to be with that physicality. And, again, the playoffs, a different animal. However, the Moncton Magic had success uh, versus the St. John Riptide uh, in the season series, I believe, 4-2. St. John fell to to, uh, Moncton in the season series. And again, I know the playoffs a different situation, but how much can that kind of play in the back of your mind a little bit, especially if you're the Riptide and you're the team that lost four out of six to the Moncton Magic? Yeah, when you look at it, though, they had – Two of those games were super, super tight, and then they had that collapse there at their place where Moncton had that 49-point fourth quarter and came back from 27 down. That's the sort of thing where, as a professional team uh, and a smart coach like Coach Taroba can go, you know, let's shake that one off. You take, you, you mark that one off. We hold on to win that. We don't, we don't play that terrible fourth quarter. It's a, it's a, it's an even Stephen three-three season kind of thing, right? So you just kind of throw that off. What would what would give me encouragement if I'm St. John is how well they defend, how well they defend as a team. Um, uh, Masson really gives them their only shot blocking presence. They, they don't really have much other than him down low, but what they do do is uh, they take care of the ball. They don't turn it over. So they don't give you a lot of runouts. Okay. But then in the half court, they are just incredibly disciplined at stopping ball penetration, rotate, help challenge shots uh take care of the defensive glass um and they that's what they do well they 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 rely on that they play at the slowest pace by far in the league um so they they don't shoot a great percentage but they grind you down they grind you down they grind you down and they know that that's kind of where in in playoff uh, basketball at any professional level Playing that style can, if you if you execute it right, uh, can be uh, uh, successful. Because the other part of the series too that's going to be really fascinating is what kind of whistle they get from the referees. Um, if it's because St. John plays that hard, they play and their numbers are that good. Ninety six points a game, they give up and they do it without fouling. Scott, I couldn't believe that when I looked at it today. They only average twenty point four fouls a game, which is three almost three fouls less than the next closest team, and that's a huge gap uh, over the sport course of year. So they played that well without fouling, and that's just a remarkable thing. So if they get the benefit of a whistle, muck things up, you know, they get some good scoring games from Frank Bartley and T.J. Madison, 
and they become scary, especially in a short series, a five-game series. Well, and one of the other interesting things, too, especially in basketball, uh, I've always enjoyed watching coaching matchups. Yes, it's about the players on the floor, but we saw it just as recently as uh, this last day or two in the NCAA playoff in, in uh, March Madness with Tom Izzo from Michigan State going up against Mike Krzyzewski uh, and Duke. And there was just as much talk about the coaching matchup as there was about the two team matchups. And uh, I get a lot of fun watching Nelson Taroba coaching the Riptide going up against Joe Salerno. Uh, what kind of things are you looking forward to in the coaching matchup? Because these two guys, uh, in for my money, are, are two of the top guys around. Yeah, this is a tremendous coaching matchup. You're absolutely right, Scott. Taroba's great. Joe's the coach of the year, crowned today, and congrats to him. Um, I know you gave your congrats on social media, and we, we're all really proud of Joe and happy for him. Uh, but Coach Taroba, Nelson Taroba, is, is in Joe's category, and Joe will tell you that. He'll be the first guy to tell you uh, he's a scary, scary good coach. And that match, and it makes, it, it makes this matchup more intriguing. He's definitely going to have um, – you know, coaches don't throw a bunch of new offenses in all of a sudden at the end of the year to throw guys off. They know what their guys do well. It's it's kind of uh, uh, um, personnel, maybe, uh, matchups where they think they have an advantage where they give a guy maybe five, six, seven extra minutes during a series that they might lose in the next series. So you might see matchups change. But it's more about what they do defensively, wrinkles defensively maybe, that might come into play. And nobody does wrinkles defensively any better than Coach Taroba. I don't think uh, Coach Slarner is a very good defensive coach, too. And he's going to have some stuff to throw at T.J. Masson and Frank Bartley, who are their, their rocks. Let's face it, if those guys, if he, throw, if he slows down one of those two guys for this series, it's over really fast. But if those guys can score at the, at the rate they've scored at all year, which is almost exactly the same amount, almost 20 points a game, both of them, um, then they'll stay in the series. If they can score that much, and they'll stay in the series because they're de- they're defensive. So that's the thing I'm looking at is is these matchups defensively and how they change and if there's any uh, adjustments that come throughout the series. Um, it's going to be really really fun to watch that uh, on Friday night. From time to time, I like to pull little surprises on you during these podcasts, Dave, and uh, I'm about to do that now. Now look, I saw this coming, so I did some I did some extra prep. So go for it. I'm ready. All right, well, this uh, this little section of the uh, the Magic Time Playoff Edition is going to be called The Edge Goes 2. Guard play, The Edge Goes 2. The, oh boy, that's closer. The Magic, though. And how about uh, at the 3-4 positions? Not even close there, The Magic. All right, and uh, there's a lot of positionless basketball these days, but for the sake of the old school guys like me, uh, the big man or uh, the five position. The edge goes too. It'd be, it'd be super close if Washington was still there because he plays that, shares that. But again, edge goes to the Magic. <laughs> All right. You never know who's going to be in the starting lineup uh, based on situational things and based on matchups. But we kind of know who the, the starters are for both teams for the most part based on minutes and other things. So uh, bench play, the bench mob, the edge goes too. Not even close to the Magic. Overall, offense, and I'm throwing everything in there. Three points, field goal percentage, free throw shooting, everything. Overall offense, the edge goes to? The Magic. And this might be a no-brainer considering how they played all year long. Uh, Defensively, the edge goes to? The Riptide. 
and intangibles. That is coaching. That is venue. In other words, the Avenir Center, uh, Harbor Station in St. John, uh, fan base, all the other things that go into a past history. So the intangibles, the edge goes to? That goes to the magic because of what you talked about before, Billy White, the presence of Billy White and guys that have been been through the battles and, and won playoff series in this the the Riptide are young, very young, but so yeah, Magic. All right, so heavily leaning toward the Magic, and the edge goes too. Now let me put uh, another scenario to you. Let me let me ask you another um, kind of look into your crystal ball. But for the St. John Riptide to win this series, player X has to be their MVP of the series. Ooh, player X. <clears throat> well, if that guy, hmm, I haven't talked about him yet and I wanted to get in, so I'm going to say him here, even though a likely, he's not, I'm going to, I'm going to say it here. It's going to be Brent Arrington. Off the, at the point, at the point guard spot. Okay. So if he plays an MVP yeah. series, St. John can win it. Yes, because I think Maston and Bartley, are going to get theirs. I think they're going to get theirs, and I think uh, Jeremiah Morty, if he um, steps up and plays a super veteran role, and then that. But if Brett Arrington, because he's shown flashes this year of being super explosive, and he's had some games against the Magic where he's looked really, really good, but he's been kind of inconsistent with his offense. But he's along with all the other guys on the Riptide, he's, he's very, very sound defensively, but. He's six in the league in assist to turnover ratio, so he takes care of that ball. If he has some spectacular games, which he's had this year, okay, then in a short series, then he becomes scary. Because he's been a guy, he's he's only a, he only averages about eleven a game, four boards, five assists, but he's seventh in the league in steals. If he can, you know, impact the game defensively, get some easy buckets for them, and explosively explosively in the open court, which he's more than capable of. So if he is, plays at that level where he's one of their – where you're looking at him as, wow, he's really been an impact player on this series, then, yeah, we could look in game five in the fourth quarter and have one of those 80 – those games in the 80s in the fourth quarter that the Riptide and, and the Magic have shared the last couple of years, Scott, that we've seen way too many times. All right. Now, flip side, for the Moncton Magic to win round one in advance, player X has to have an MVP series. Uh, I think if that guy is Trey Kell, then it's super short. If Trey Kell plays an MVP level, then this could be a sweep. And the reason I say that is if he's, you know, Billy, you know, Billy's going to be focused. Um, I'm, I'm really confident that this, um, this bench, uh, this bolstered bench now with Nick back and other guys healthy is going to be really, really good. So if Trey Kell plays at that, level that he played at in Windsor where he took over games and with, with Corey beside him and with uh, Nick Evans back healthy and with Billy doing his thing, I don't think St. John has any chance. So it's really going to come down to how uh, Brent Arrington and Morty and, and Coach Taroba uses the guys like that to try to take Trey Kell out of his, out of his offense. And as you said, we've seen a whole mixed bag of things when these two teams have hooked up this year. But for game one, 
Okay, and keeping in mind now that for the most part, the Moncton Magic have had a pretty long layoff here. But game one, 180 combined points. Are you taking the over or are you taking the under? Ooh, 180 combined points. In game one, I'm going to take... I'm going to take the over, but if you made it 200, I'd probably go under. So you know where I'm thinking. I don't think it's going to be a runaway, but I'd, I'd take the over just because I think uh, a well-rested Magic team in, a, in that building um, coming out where it's going to be super loud and energetic, I think you're going to see a really, really strong game from them. And this one, I mean – Obviously, I'm going to ask you now to climb inside the mind of Joe Salerno, but down the stretch, and he even talked to us about it uh, on one of the last podcasts we did in the regular year, but he had basically, uh, you know, taken the constraints off the offense, if you will, and was kind of just letting the team go with almost like a free flow, freestyle type of offense. And we saw that bear out in the scores that the Moncton Magic were racking up offensively, but they also suffered a little bit on the defensive end of things. But they had success with it, and they got hot down the stretch. Knowing Coach Salerno like you do and knowing what playoff basketball is like, do you see him perhaps letting those uh, reins kind of run free, or do you see him maybe bringing it back in and going a little bit more back to that defensive style? Uh, well, I think he, I think you see him playing that according to the matchup. I think, but he, I don't see him gearing down that much for this series. No, because the the more easy baskets you get against St. John, uh, the better off you are. If you can, uh, before they set up that half court offense, if you can run and get some easy hoops, that that's that's only that only plays to your advantage. And it's I know what you're saying about you know it costs them. Uh, you might you might think it costs them defensively, but if you look at the way the season ended, they finished number one in the league in defensively in both op- opponents' field goal percentage overall and from the three-point line. So that faster pace might mean they give up more offensively because or defensively because as far as total points per game. But I don't think they suffered all that much actually in their performance defensively. I just think it's that faster pace that kind of led to some higher scoring games, which is why when you say that over-under, I think that ends up being the over. But uh, I don't think you see uh, Coach put the wraps on him too much. I think he's he, he likes what he sees, and he knows that if he can get out and run on these guys, that makes it all the better for, for this first-round series. All right, we've broken down a whole lot, uh, and you've given me the edge goes to. You've given me who you think needs to be MVP for performer for each team for them to win the series. Now I'm going to ask you to put it right out there, Dave, putting it on the line. I want, uh, I want you to give me who takes the series and in how many games. Magic in four. Magic in four. All right. Now, we're not going to get into detail in these other series, but let's go around the rest of the NBLC. I'm going to give you the series. I'm going to give you uh, – well, I'll tell you the matchups. I want you to tell me who wins and in how many games. And if you want to toss a couple little anecdotes in there about each one, go right ahead. So uh, before we get back to our own division, let's flip over to the other side. Uh, the uh, KW, Kitchener Water Kings, taking on a perennial powerhouse in this league. But they've kind of been up and down this year, the London Lightning. Uh, who wins it and how many games? And go ahead with any other extra thoughts you got, Dave. I got, I got London in five in that, and I think – 
KW could upset them there. Um, both teams score a little over 111 a game. Both teams give up over a little over 111 a game. Uh, both have seven. Both teams have seven guys averaging double figures. And I give the advantage to London because they've got home court, but also because they've got plenty of those those guys hanging around still with championship experience. So I think it might come down to Akeem Ellis versus Garrett Williamson, maybe a bit. If Akeem, a guy like Akeem Ellis for KW can have a really big series, then maybe uh, they pull the upset there. But I think um, London in four or five, I'm, I'm letting it go five just because I think KW is really explosive. And I liked, I liked how they, they played down the stretch, even though they didn't win a bunch in a row like London did. London ended the season on a really high note. I think KW can grind it down a little bit with Derek Hall inside and make it a little tougher. And, and it goes four or five. I'm picking London and five. London and five. Okay. The NKOTB, the new kids on the block, Sudbury five, <laughs> taking on the St. John's Edge. Who do you like and how many? I'm thinking Sudbury in four in that one, and that's kind of an upset for the St. John's fans. But um, it, it honestly, it makes no. It, it you, you try to break down the numbers on Sudbury, and the stats tell you nothing. They win. I tried to break it down. Like, okay, well, if they make over 15 threes a game, what's the record? If they out rebound the opponent, what's the record? Trying to find something that told the story for them, and nothing told the story for them. They lost just as many games when they shot 50% as when they didn't. When they made 10 threes is when they didn't. When they out-rebounded the opponents when they didn't. They're almost 50-50 on everything. So really, it comes down to, I think, Mo Jones. St. John's doesn't have Maurice Jones anymore. Sudbury does have Maurice Jones. And I think with him healthy and bland, with uh, Rayson and Bland on the wings, with Mo Jones, I think that backcourt, given how poorly the edge end of the season and um, uh, how uh, kind of beat up they seem, I think the edge goes to Sudbury. Now, the edge could make me look really bad because if Carl English returns from his, his uh, injured thumb and they suddenly flip the switch on in, in the playoffs, which they could with Big Baby playing more minutes maybe and uh, some of those newcomers uh, 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 kind of honing their game a little bit and becoming more uh, a little bit more uh, gelling a little bit with them maybe in the week off they've had since the end of the season. Maybe they flip a switch and become really uh, that squad that they looked like in the middle of the season. But that's hard to do, and I think Sudbury's kind of on a little bit of a roll with their offense, and I think they uh, they pull a surprise there. Yeah, we got a chance to see Sudbury, a pretty good-looking team. And you know what? Maurice Jones, senior, a, a great player, and you know that he's going to have a little extra motivation to, to take on his former team, the St. John's Edge. All right, so you're giving it to uh, Sudbury in four. Hey, you kind of surprised me with that one a little, but not the first time you've surprised me, Dave, and I'm sure it will be the last. All yeah. right, the last series, hey, we've got a battle of New Brunswick in our series with Moncton and St. John, and in the other series, it is the Battle of Nova Scotia, the Cape Breton Highlanders taking on uh, the hottest team in the league down the stretch, the Halifax Hurricanes. Uh, who do you like and in how many? Yeah, and this one I just think, for unfortunately for Cape Breton, is just a terrible matchup for them. Hurricanes have won 21, like you said, 21 of their last 30. Uh, and Cape Breton's gone into the playoffs losing 14 of their last 19. And sometimes, <clears throat> sometimes you can throw that out, but in this case, Cape Breton struggles on the defensive glass, and Halifax is the second-best offensive rebounding team in the league. Cape Breton defends the three really well, but not the rest of the floor, and Halifax's strength is the rest of the floor. They don't shoot a lot of threes, less than any team in the league. They live out 
just out maneuvering you in the, uh, out, out executing you in the half court uh, and, and really grinding you down from two point range. So all of that just plays so into the hands of the Hurricanes. I don't see a difficult series for them here. I see it's three. The, it, it, I see a sweep. But if Cape Breton uh, can get more out of Chris Johnson and Devin Sweetney, you know, a former league a scoring champion, uh, if they can get more out of them in the first round, you see, I don't know whether at the end of the season whether they were banged up or whether they were getting some more rest. If they get fresh for the playoffs, then in a short series, those two guys – can really make a difference, and uh, they played really well in their last um, home, home game down there in Cape Breton to steal that third spot. So maybe they've got something up their sleeves for Halifax, but I don't see it making enough of a difference. And I see Halifax in three. So you've got Halifax in a sweep over Cape Breton. You've got Kitchener Waterloo, the Titans losing in five to the London Lightning. You've got Sudbury in what some might say could be a bit of an upset uh, in four over the St. John's Edge, and in our series, you've got the Moncton Magic taking care of business versus the St. John Riptide in four. One other quick little snappy one for you, Dave. Friday night, game one, round one. Are the Moncton Magic going with the home whites, or are they bringing out the Hub City Camel, baby? What's your call? Hub City Camel. All right, we'll keep an eye on that on Friday night when the Magic take the floor. Dave, Appreciate it, man. Thank you for doing this. All right. You have a good one. That is my good buddy and my broadcast partner, Dave Tingley. Thanks to him for hanging out here on Magic Time, the playoff edition. The Magic take to the floor this Friday night at 7 p.m., game one of their first-round series versus the St. John Riptide. If you can't make it out to the Avenir Center in Moncton, be sure to check out the National Basketball League of Canada's streaming service at NBLC Live. Thanks again to Dave Tingley for joining me here on Magic Time. And thank you for tuning in and listening. I'm Scott Squires. Have a great rest of the day, my friends. And remember, if you can't take part in sport, be a good one anyway. Bye for now.